This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by my good friend and partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Uh, Pipe, we have... um, you know, we have big events to talk about. There was a big event in sports that happened last Sunday, um, the kind of event that the whole world watches. But I want to talk about uh, except, except New Orleans, I, the whole world, except New Orleans, the whole the whole world, except Harry Connick Jr., which we know Harry That's Connick right. was not watching this event. But I want to personally invite Harry Connick Jr. to another event pipe. And it's an event that I hope um, equally that the whole world will be watching. And it's a little event called Live in Indy, um, in, Live in Indy, Indy Live. Di- Ted. Oh, Indy Live, yeah. Indy Lee. Yeah, Ron's. This gonna, is almost Ron's as bad as our out. efforts at Noah's event venue. Uh, I know it. I know it. Mister Branding, Ron Martin is going to be. <laughs> he's going to be all over me in our in our yeah, right, up, right after he listens to the sports episode. Right after he, yeah, right after he gets back from the road and uh, and listens to the sports app. By the way, where was he? Where is he this week? Uh, he's in Chicago this week doing oh, during uh, doing denominational cohorty things. I don't really know what a cohort is, oh, yeah. but it's it's uh, it's that. It's a sojourn thing. It's what they used to call a meeting, and now they call it a cohort. So, yeah, or, or cohort like a colloquium has, or a there's yep. a summit. There's, I mean, there's it's all of the yeah. above, but it's denominational. Dude, summit has political political connotations. Okay. Cohort has um, hipster connotations. Colloquial has academic connotations. Okay. But uh, but yeah, definitely in the in the sojourn world, you're looking at like hipster meetings, really expensive food. Um, Overpaying for lodging, typical Chicago stuff. So uh, he's loving it, man. I, I bet he's loving life. Yeah, he seemed pretty upbeat uh, on the episode we did. I mean, just very. He was yeah. he was invested and lively, and you know he he was all in. Yeah. So yeah, travel around is the best yep, round. You get him traveling and talking about some church church business. He's good to go. But Piper, I want to talk about an event that's a lot like the Super Bowl. Um, it's called Indy Live. Uh, it differs from the Super Bowl in that there's no football game happening. Uh, but there are also it people won't be boring. Blo- it, exactly. It won't be boring. There will be people bloviating for several hours at a time. And those people are us, uh, you, me and one Ron Martin. So Indie Live is coming up at the end of March. Uh, Pipe, why don't you tell them where they can get tickets? Yeah, if you go to happyrantpodcast.com. So that's just our landing page. You can also, you know, it's where you can find all of our sponsors and and uh, our partners like Lagaris Roasters and everything. But right in the middle of that page, there is a big thing that says events. It's got all the details there. So it's March 31st from 7 to 10 p.m. at Soma Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's right on the eve of the Gospel Coalition Conference. So if you're thinking of coming to that, just bump your arrival up a little bit early and have way more fun than you will listening to sermons. And uh, and then you click on the big orange button that says get your tickets, and that's where you can get your tickets. And they're 15 bucks a pop, um, so a very affordable. Cheaper than a Super Bowl ticket by about $2,500, That's right, I by think. a factor of $100. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's where you can so go to happyrampodcast.com, hit the orange button that says order your tickets, um, and we will we'll we'll do the usual thing where we do a couple live episodes that are that are sort of topically based. Um, if you have topics you'd like us to discuss, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Send us suggestions. Uh, I compile those, and we we in our lengthy show prep, which is the 17 minutes before the live event, we sort through those and go, "That's a good one." <laughs> and then we'll do a Q and A. So that's that's the most fun one because that's when we get to interact with you. You get to try to stump us or trick us or make us laugh or kind of make a fool out of yourself. We occasionally have people who do that, so that's for our entertainment. Absolutely. Um, and usually there's, there's coffee and cake and all sorts of deliciousness. And all of that is built into the evening. Piper, I can't wait to see what Soma church and day spa looks like in Indianapolis. I feel like it's going to be the place where like we check in for our own event and they give us like a, a, a puffy white robe and slippers. And, um, we're just sort of shuffling around going from one sort of pampering it smells vaguely to of eucalyptus. Smells of eucalyptus and lime. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be. We really had a good, we had a listener who uh, we had a listener who shared some pictures with us on Twitter of different things named Soma, and the ones I remember are <laughs> like uh, environmentally friendly water bottles, and there was in fact a day spa. So uh, of course there was. I love we, it. We know our branding, and so does that church. We sure do. Now, what is Soma Hebrew for? Did we ever find out? It's, is it Hebrew for like it, the gathering? It's for body. I think it's Greek. Oh. 
for yes. her body, which makes a ton I of sense it. for a day spa because there's a lot of body massages and body oiling and body waxing and tanning and Dude, right. mud masking yeah. and all sorts of things going on in there. So it makes a ton of sense. They could they could really share that space with a day spa and um, keep the cost down for both entities. You know, church on Sunday, day spa. Yeah, they could split the bill for the branding agency. It's genius. I love it, man. I, love I have it. A- the branding agency that we should start because of last week's episode where we. We had all those money business ideas. That's right. All those pastors will owe us a uh, a fee of some kind when they get their businesses up and running. I have a question for exactly. you, Ted. Comparing Indy yeah, Live on. to the Super Bowl, are we mm-hmm. better at our job than Tony Romo is at his? Which is saying something because oh, he's, he's maybe the best football commentator out there right now. Um, Dude, that's so Are, are that's we better so at podcasting say. than he is at commentating football games? I'm not gonna lie, Piper. I think we're pretty good at podcasting. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to blow my own show far here, but um, I, I think we're pretty good at podcasting. Although Tony Romo is great at what he does. I got a text from my cousin uh, during the Super Bowl, and this was the first Super Bowl in like a decade where I didn't have a house full of people. Um, it was really, really nice. We didn't do anything. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't have a party. Um, so I just sat and like texted my dad and my cousin through the whole thing. Uh, which was really fun. And at one point, like my cousin texts me and he's like, I want Tony Romo to be my best friend. You know, like I, I just want to hang out with Tony Romo. And I'm like, that would be great. Um, you know, he seems really fun and insightful. And man, he's killing it right now. He's really killing it right now. And I think the question you ask yourself if you're Tony Romo, and this does not apply to us, uh, because I, I feel like we still got growing to do. You know, this this podcast is going to be you know, way more huge in two years than it is now. But with Romo, like, he's gotten so many things right so quickly, right out the gate. Like, you ask yourself the question, where do I go from here? And if he starts getting things wrong, because Tony Romo's level of familiarity with the league and with play calling and with audibles and with all the stuff that he's crushing is never, it's never going to be as high as it is right now. In fact, with like, every day that he spins out of the league, it's going to get a little bit worse. Um so yeah, the the worry kind, if you're kind of reminds Romo's, me of someone named John Gruden who spent a long time out of the league <laughs> and then went in and tried to coach like it was 1998 again. Oh man, if only it was 1998 again. I really wish it was just for my own, you know, my own personal edification. Yeah, you and Mike Allstott and both. Gruden. Dude, seriously, me and Allstott and Gruden, we're going right to the top in 1998. I could be Allstott's backup. You know, I could be his understudy. I could wear number forty. I could I could wear the huge neck in, roll. In nineteen ninety eight, you know. people had backup fullbacks, so that, I mean that exactly <laughs> no longer. Yeah. yeah, you rolled like two or three deep in the fullback room in the nineties, but uh, but yeah, no longer. Uh, much to the chagrin of John Gruden, Mike Allstott, uh, and myself. But Piper, what um what what were your thoughts on the Super Bowl in general? I know that the game itself has taken a lot of heat in the media for being boring. I. I, I can't really suss out whether I enjoyed it because I got to introvert during it, which is so rare, or whether it was actually fun. Um, I think it was fun. Like I love, I love chess between Belichick and Wade Phillips. Like that aspect of things was really interesting to me. Um, the great defenses. I thought New England's offensive line did a phenomenal job. Um, offensive line and fullback. I think James Devlin was a big factor in the game, and I enjoyed watching watching him work. But um, I really enjoyed it. I sense that you did not um, lay some Super Bowl reactions on me. Yeah, I a, a defensive battle can be fun, but it has to be the right kind of defensive battle. This felt more like a, a mutual futility as opposed yeah. to, you know, think think of like Steelers Ravens of the early two thousands. You know, Mm -hmm. those were defensive battles, but like every play was just, it was a collision of Titans is kind of what it felt like. And this did not feel like that at all. This felt flat. You know, there was missed throws and, um, I mean, think, think about the play where, where Goff was way late getting the ball to Cooks uh, at the back of the end zone. You know, and it was a great defensive play, but if he makes even a moderately decent throw that he's open by four yards and yeah, exactly. and it's an easy touchdown. Exactly. And there, there was there was just a handful of plays like that. You're like this this could have been a good game if if they just made plays. And that's yeah. that's not the the defense doesn't get credit for the offense missing all the throws or you know that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so it it just felt flat. 
to me. Yeah. And so there, yes, there was tension because it was close, but like when it was 10 to three or whatever, the final, what was it? 13, three. I don't even remember what the final was, but I mean, when it was 10, three Patriots, like I, it felt like the game was over because it was just like, Oh, the Rams offense is just abjectly broken. It's It's just totally garbage. This game. Um, Dude, yeah, it was. I felt like they crossed the 50 like one time. You know, I mean, it, it really yeah, I mean, up had, until like, the fourth quarter, there was a legit, there's a legitimate chance that the punters would be in consideration for MVP. Absolutely. You know, field position Absolutely. was the only thing that had gone right in that game. It was, yep. you know, the, yep. the, the, well, that's not true. The, uh, the national anthem performance was excellent as well. So, dude, wasn't that great? That was really good after the, after kind of the bombs that were the, the AFC and NFC championship. Um, national anthems. Gladys Knight, man, tip of the cap to her. It, she's not a not a kid either. No, she's, you know, she's been around we, a long time. I, yeah, we looked it up at the uh, with the friends I was watching with because my my daughter asked me on the way to the Super Bowl party who's who's singing the national anthem, and I said Gladys Knight, and she nice. goes, "Is she good?" Because she never heard yeah. of her, and I said, "Well, she used to be. Yeah. I don't know if she is anymore or not." Well, it turns out she is. And you yeah, know, I had yeah. some troll on Twitter who was like, "It was pre-recorded." I was like, "Yeah, but it was her voice that was pre-recorded." Which tells me that right. she can still, in fact, sing. Um, I thought it was exactly. I thought it was classy and excellent, and she she still got pipes. Dude, it was classy and excellent. It was really um, phenomenally well done, and and on, on the level of like pregame stuff. Since we're on that, like, what did you think of the NFL going kind of all in on Martin Luther King and all that stuff before the game? I mean, it, it was sort of. Ripped online because of the NFL and Kaepernick and and some of that stuff, but um, you know they would have been ripped for not doing it, I think, and they they got ripped for doing it. But I wondered what you thought of it. Yeah, I mean the the NFL has put itself in a position where the only way that they cannot be ripped is sustained change over time. Any decision they make yeah. right now is the wrong one. You know, sure. Because sure. my guess is, if a team signed Kaepernick, or if the league gave him a position as like ambassador for cultural change or something like that, they would they would be crushed. You know, yeah. because it you know it's too little, too late kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, they made their bed; they have to sleep in it. They have they have mishandled just about every sensitive social issue for the last infinity years. So, mm-hmm. I mean. What what did they expect? I I wish they had done a sort of instead of kind of going all in, maybe just a more player centric tribute to kind of why the players respect King. So put the instead instead of sort of a, sure, this is an sure. NFL sponsored thing, just because that yeah. feels really disingenuous to me. Yeah, definitely, dude. What if like how how bonkers would the internet have gone if they had like if they had shown that little package and then like a puff of smoke goes up in the arena and Kaepernick walks out um, and, and, and they, they find some sort of way. I mean, it would take millions, I'm sure, but they find some sort of way to, to, to like make peace with Kaepernick and, and trot him out again. That would have been, uh, that would have been crazy. I mean, I, my um, guess is they would have gotten accused of like paying for his silence at this point, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, there would have still been some way for them to screw that up. You know what? I, I had somebody, I read an article or a, a portion of an article that was talking about Kaepernick and it basically said, you know, he's still the, he's still the hinge on which this debate turns. The man mm-hmm. doesn't say anything publicly. He's not no, stirring he up controversy. He is, yeah. he, he genuinely is just sort of focused on community service things, you know, using the platform yeah. that he has because of football, the money he has because of football and, and doing good work in, in his community. And, but he's still the flashpoint for this, which is fascinating because he's, he's not an NFL player anymore. And I, I doubt he ever will be dude. Right. And he's even way less like publicly angsty than Jim Brown. I mean, for example, you you can always count on Jim Brown to like, say at least one controversial thing every or like, three or months like or so 25 current players you know yeah exactly there's, exactly you know there's there's uh there's a there's so many guys who are who are more outspoken about issues and and they they uh at, i mean currently now kaepernick yeah, kaepernick yeah. did he was the starter of something and so he took you know he was the he was kind of the the blunt end of the battering ram so he he took the sure he took the most of the force, but there are so many guys who have said and done more. I mean, 
at this point, somewhere between three and six Patriots have said they're not going to the White House when they get invited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, all sorts of things. And yet he's still the he's the guy. Dude, yeah, he's not even doing like the college lecture circuit, is he? Where which is where actual fame goes to die. Um, I don't even <laughs> I don't even get rumblings of of anything like that. No, I don't I don't think he's doing anything public like that. I mean, he's he is not I mean, that stuff would go viral if he did. And he's it totally he would. not it totally, saying totally would. anything about this. I don't even think yeah, he's doing interviews. Yeah. No, I know it's amazing, man. Pipe, let's talk about the the presentation of the game entertainment-wise a little bit more. Um, to me, and I again, I probably paid more attention to the commercials this year than I have in a decade. Um, to me, there was only one memorable commercial in that there's only one that I really remember, and it was the um, Stella Artois beer commercial with uh, the dude. Um, Jeff Bridges comes <laughs> back, reprises his role Wait, as Russian? the dude. One of my favorite characters of all time. I mean, just an amazing, amazing character. And um, yeah, he comes in and instead of asking for the white Russian, he asks for, um, you know, Estella. And uh, that one I thought was really clever um, and really fun. Were there any commercials that stood out to you? Um, the uh, What was it? The NFL 100? The uh, With all oh, of yeah, the different yeah. players tackling each other at, at an award ceremony yeah. or wedding reception or some, whatever that was. Yeah, I enjoyed that because they pulled in so many great players from from different eras in you know the, the recent NFL years. You know Barry Sanders putting yeah. a spin move on people and Ed, Ed Reed sneaking out from behind a cake to just drop somebody and so forth. That was a fun one because it like it would have been kitschy if it stopped after like two or three players, but it was like thirty players showed up to to tackle and throw and spin and hurdle and all in tuxedos. I thought that one was a lot of fun. Dude, I feel like Ed Reed is still one of the coolest looking people like connected to the NFL. Plus, that's um, that is that is an all time underrated football name too, Ed Reed. Yeah, I mean, if your name is Ed good, Reed, man. you're going to be a good athlete. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't matter what position you play. Any um any other commercials stand out um, to you, Pipe? Man, not really. It was. It, Do you feel like the commercials were more? like politically charged this year. Oh, I, I had people texting me, you know, kind of complaining about how like, you know, Colbert turned the pistachio into a political thing. And, and I guess I'm so beaten down and bludgeoned by that whole motif anyway. Like I, I'm not sure I particularly noticed, but um, I wondered I if mean, that like registered on your radar. No, because it's just, everything's a political statement. Now. I mean, Nike was a political exactly. statement and, uh Gillette was a political statement I mean and both of those were like ad campaigns built around it so I mean it's yeah. the least surprising thing in the world is that people used a Super Bowl ad to, to take political shots um yeah there, yeah there just weren't there weren't a lot of memorable I, it felt like people put less kind of production value into the commercials this year they just sort of advertised stuff there was less sort of yeah big there was Super less Bowl of a feeling commercial. like yeah, like ooh, this is a Super Bowl commercial, and more just this is a another run of the mill commercial. I feel like Amazon um, had one commercial that was like seven and a half minutes long, but I don't remember what it was for. I don't either. Was it one of those like kind of touchy feely? We're a part of everyone's lives, kind of kind of deals. Or? I don't remember. I just remember the Amazon logo showing up over and over again. I mean, did I? To be fair, during about half the commercial breaks, I was getting food and talking to people because. I like people and food more than commercials, but um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it, but the ones that I did watch, yeah, the only one that really stood out to me. I mean, the one you mentioned because the dude is is always peak favorite. But then the uh, then the NFL Absolutely. one. Other than that, I don't recall any that made me kind of sit up and go, "Wow." Yeah, yeah. Speaking of something that would not make you sit up and go, "Wow," um, let's talk about the halftime show. Uh, Do we have? Yeah, to? The, yeah. The the <laughs> halftime show was pretty bad. Um, I feel like Super Bowl halftime shows have become a self-parody. Um, and this this one didn't disappoint on that level. What were your responses to it? Uh, well, I will say this. I am thankful for Super Bowl halftime shows because they are my Twitter muse. Um, I never oh, sure. I never have more fun than making fun of those things on Twitter. So Thank you, Adam Levine, for being a cliche that just that mm. is that is my Twitter muse. That was that was enjoyable. Um, Has Adam Levine shifted into like 
self-parody mode yet in his career. I feel like this is a thing that happens to certain pop stars where your your personal odometer ticks over from like relevant star to self-parody. And I feel like we're really close to that with Adam. See, I don't, when the shirt came off, that, I mean, that, I, I feel like. But here's the thing. Like, so I, I discovered something. When you make fun of these things on Twitter, you generally have a wave of support as people love the jokes and snark lives and, yeah. you know, sarcasm is is fed and forwarded, et cetera. When you make fun of it on Facebook, all mm-hmm. of the like 28 to 45 year old moms. Mm, yeah, like they get offended because Adam Levine is secretly the love of their lives, apparently. So, dude, my my perception of Facebook is that it's like, like if it was a place in a city, it would be a dark alley. But instead of like young like thugs in the dark alley, it would be moms like like with broken bottles and like swinging chains and like you wander into you wander into the Facebook dark alley, man. You're getting cut. You know, somebody's somebody's going to cut. I mean, you. Yeah, it's like a, it's like uh, an unlit cul-de-sac. So like during parts of the yeah. day, it's very sort of <laughs> s- serene and like very normal mm. Pleasantville. But then when when sure. the sun goes down, it gets it gets very dark and you don't really know what's going on in this crazy town. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it he's not a parody of himself to the audience he's trying to reach, which is. Like white women, moms who take him seriously, yeah, white white middle aged women who really really love Adam Levine, and to be to be fair to them, man, who who can blame him? You know, Adam Levine's nice to look at. You know, he's uh, he's he still takes care of his body, as we all found out on uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. Yep, I mean that was, um, that, that was that a good commercial like, for whatever whoever his personal trainer is. Oh, most definitely, like Stephen Furtick supplements. Maybe he's he's hitting those Furtick right. supplements, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, what's what's not for a middle-aged, you know, white mom to like in in terms of Adam Levine? He writes these kind of like accessible, never offensive love songs. Um, you know, he's he's great. Now, my moment of disappointment was um I love the song Sicko Mode by Travis Scott. Uh it's one of my favorites. And they they let him go like 15 seconds into that thing, and then immediately somebody else came out and and Travis Scott's night was over. Um, I feel like it was a tease. It was almost like Todd Gurley. He was the Todd Gurley of the halftime show. And the, he he got in. He got to, like, explode for one 16-yard carry. <laughs> the and then the most like, talented performer Gurley. who got two carries. Yeah, the most talented performer. Like, clearly the best person on the lineup. He gets two carries. Adam Levine gets, like, 30 carries. And um, the other guy, I don't know, got, like, 10. But um, who was the other guy? I'm blanking. This big boy was out there at one point. Um, yeah. Was Andre I've did Andre two thousand make yet. an appearance? I can't remember. I don't think so. I feel like I would remember that. Yeah, and, uh, somebody mentioned him to me, but I, and I was like, man, I must have missed that part when I was tweeting or something. But because yeah, I feel like I would have I would have noticed him. Um, Dude, you know what always fascinates me about the Super Bowl halftime show is the like the the cadre of people that they get to run out onto the field and be like falsely enthusiastic. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean. I, I really wonder. Like, I would love to write a short story about that person, you know, or that group of people, how they find them. Um, if they repeat year after year, if they, if there's like a Hollywood agency for just like on field, like fist pumping, fakely enthusiastic people. Right. Um, that, that to me is a, is a real interesting thing. And I wonder if we should like paper the house at live indie live. I almost said live in India again, man, Ron's going to, he's, he's really going <laughs> to try to fire me from the show. Cause he's, he's so into the branding. Like, he he really he really feels like indie live is an important distinction. Um, I I wonder if he sees it going on a t shirt at at some level, but um, I don't I, know. I, I wouldn't. I haven't had I those business discussions. So if he th- sees it going on a t shirt, he's going to have to facilitate that one himself. Dude, right? That's going to have to run through us as a company. You know, we don't want any rogue t shirt business happening. But um, I don't know, pipe. What uh, what what other thoughts on the Super Bowl do you have? Do you have you heard anything about Todd Gurley? Like why we didn't see more of the Rams best player. Um, is this an example of Sean McVay being too smart by half, like too, too clever for his own good? Well, it, um, it wasn't the, the first time it's happened. Cause it, in the uh, girly kind of disappeared the last two or three games and, and they kept sure. denying that he was injured. And if he's not injured, then Sean McVay is a lot less smart than everybody thinks. 
If he is yeah. injured, just say he's injured. Now, I realize they're probably like, we don't want to make excuses. It's not excuses to put somebody on an injury list. Like, he's got a bad hamstring, right. you know? Yeah. Um, so it was it was definitely weird because they they just – the Patriots don't have – explosive linebackers in terms of like speed and so they did you know using Gurley in the passing game seems like it could have been beneficial to them and they didn't um he's also just a really good runner and he got what did he get he didn't get very many carries it was like six or eight or something like that I mean just and when he ran he looked pretty decent um he did so yeah I don't know what's going on with that my my only other real takeaway was that all of the teams that have hired you know Sean McVay's third cousins as their as their coaches because mm-hmm. you know, oh, he knew Sean McVay. They played. They they played together in high school. They they're Facebook friends. Whatever it is, I wonder yeah. how nervous all of those teams are. Because it seems to me that over the last quarter of the season, defenses seems to have caught up to the genius of Sean McVay. Yeah, I know it, man. I know it. Yeah, that team looked really, um, just just really stoppable. You know, they they looked ordinary. They looked unremarkable over the last quarter of the season, and I think. I think Sunday's game really exposed how average their offensive line was. You know, that that game, if you just look at the two offensive lines, yeah. um, New England's did a great job. They neutralized Sue and Donald. Um, they were doing this kind of unique thing in the run game where they would um, they would ISO, but they would ISO on Donald instead of on a linebacker. So typically when you when you run an ISO, you get a fullback on a backer, but they were um they were letting the guard kind of leak out and take care of the backer and then uh, and then hitting um hitting Donald with Devlin and it was really effective. Yeah, it was, it was weird for New England even though because they they started out running the ball really well. Then they like didn't run for two and a half quarters. Um and then they and then they closed out the game with it. So, uh Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, those guys had a had a nice, you know, a nice performance there to close the game out, but uh they seemed to go away from it for a while and they seemed to just run the same sort of whip route to Julian Edelman. Um you know, which worked, but yeah, even Brady wasn't super sharp. Yeah, I, I, I do think though that it's it is amazing how in the last couple games the corpse of Rob Gronkowski has made <laughs> yeah. massive catches. Like in, yeah, in both the true. AFC championship game and the Super Bowl, a guy who yeah. who just was he had the he had the worst season of his career, I think, just in terms of yeah, you yeah. know, he was on the field and did nothing. And everybody was like, Oh, he's slow, he can't run. I mean, he even looked slow in this game, and yet somehow he, he really did, yeah. You know, Brady drops it in there and he, you know, pulls it in between two defenders and and sets him up for a touchdown. Uh, Absolutely. and then I know everybody hates Bill Belichick. Yeah. That hatred is pure jealousy because he is the best NFL coach probably ever. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's the best. Well, he's the best. Walsh is up there, but both of them did the same Mm -hmm. thing in that they just, they changed how game plans work. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And they did it in pretty similar ways. You know, Walsh, Developing the West Coast offense was really in response to, you know, Buddy Ryan's 46 defense and a lot of these like, you know, attacking kind of blitz everybody fronts that that he was seeing in the early and mid 80s. And, um, you know, Belichick, I think, taking that a step forward, like he just adjusts to everything, but he does it so organically and on the fly that you almost don't even notice. You know, Um, he adjusts from quarter to quarter, from play to play. Um, and he just does it so well, and he's done it so many times with so many different types of players. Um, you know, the, you kind of had the, like, five wides era of Brady over the last couple of years. You know, going way back, you had the, you know, ground and pound kind of Corey Dillon Patriots years. I mean, they've done it so many times with so many different players, and I was actually having this conversation with my dad. Um, the life cycle of Brady, like, when he was when he was first with the Pats, they had a tight end named Christian Fourier, mm-hmm. who was who was at the end of his career, you know, like late career Christian Fourier. His nephew Joseph Fourier has already like come and gone from the league, and Brady's still playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 incredible that he could be like almost playing with like the sons of guys that he came into the league with twenty years ago. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a freshman in college when they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl in two thousand one. Um, yeah, I guess it would have been yep. 2002, but this is the 2001 season. And, you know, yeah. so they, they beat the greatest show on turf and he was, what was he? I think he was a second year quarterback at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. and you know, and that was a team that was just like, they were, 
they were undermanned, they were under talented, and and yep. it just sort of scrappy. They weren't supposed to win. And then what what is it now? Nineteen years later, seventeen years later, they they're a full on dynasty. And yeah, like, people hate them and hate that they're winning. I tell NFL fans this: people will be people will not love the league more when Brady and Belichick are gone. It will, no, it will not be a better league when they're gone. I think the league will be actually way less fun when they're gone. And I, I was going to ask you: Do you think Gronk? Do you think Gronk is the last fun NFL player? Like the last guy that's really fun that that really seems to, you know, enjoy it, have a good time off the field. Um, I've loved Gronk. I've loved watching him, and he's had a super fun career. Well, but... at the at the risk of uh, at the risk of being controversial, there are other players who are fun. They just get judged mm-hmm. because they're young black men. Like, like who? Who's fun? I, who's fun in the same way as Gronk? Well, I, I think he and Odell Beckham are basically the same person in terms of in terms of partying. It's just that it's just that Beckham gets trashed for going and partying before games, and people are like, "Gronk gonna Gronk," and yeah, you know, it, how does Gronk get away with like the lovable goofball? sort of approach because to that, he's though. a big white lug who's named Gronkowski you know if his that's if his true. name was like Jamal Smith pe- yeah. people would crap all over him that's true man that's that's interesting I mean r- I mean there nothing nothing sounds like the sort of old school hard-nosed football player like Gronkowski like that's the middle linebacker for the 1974 Steelers dude you know what let me posit a theory in support of what you just said there was a black version of Gronkowski, and people did crap all over him. And his name was Martellus Bennett. Um, he was fun. He was goofy. He said crazy things. He was a super talented, you know, generationally athletic tight end. And and you're right, people crapped all over him. So, um, so yeah, you're on to I something. Mean, I, there's, there, there's, it is the Gronkowski is the quintessential boys will be boys behavior. You know, when he hangs out with forty strippers on a yacht. People are yeah. jealous of him when a when another player does it who has a little bit more melanin. That player is not preparing for games. That player is you know a pox on society, and it's right. it's it's a real double standard. So there's a lot of players in the league who I think love their lives and have a lot of fun and party and and don't do anything criminal. Uh, so there's here's a, they're just they're just partiers and they get they get dumped on. Here's an interesting life cycle thing for Gronk, though. So let's say he retires. Um, he will become, like, uh, incrementally less charming the more the more time he spends away from the game, or he'll be perceived as less charming. What's the over-under on amount of time between Gronk's retirement and the time where he does something really embarrassing publicly? And it's no longer charming. It's, like, sad, and people turn on him. Um, six months, a year? Um I don't think it'll be very long. I mean, or does he just go like run a chain of shoe stores? Like he's he's gonna. That would be awesome, actually. You know, that like, would be so awesome. Wouldn't, couldn't you see that though? It's like a it's like a region. Yeah. Where, where is he from originally? I know he went to college in Arizona, but I have no idea. I feel like the Northeast. Yeah, somewhere, I mean, he's, he's but gonna go. I could be wrong. He's gonna go like run. He's he's either going to become just the worst caricature of himself without any of the sort yeah. of NFL cachet, or yeah. Or he's or he's going to go be like just a successful businessman. I hope he I hope he does the the latter. I would love to see Gronk as a successful businessman. Speaking of pipe, this is a slight topic change, but it's in the it's in the same wheelhouse of like outlandish over the top superstars that we have some familiarity with. Did you see the new thirty for thirty on Deion Sanders? I have not yet. No, it's pretty fascinating, and to me, it's fascinating on the level of. Like this guy hasn't learned anything. Like this guy has not. This guy hasn't grown one iota as a person. And 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 I, I caveat that by saying maybe he has. And also, there's been there's been all the rumblings of like, you know, Deion Sanders had a you know an experience with faith, and you know maybe he had a conversion. I don't know. Like I'm I'm not I'm not speaking into the the ins and outs of that at all. I'm just saying for a guy who had a reputation of being like shallow and arrogant and aggravating as a 25 year old oh you mean like um, rob gronkowski 
Yeah, exactly. Except that, like, except that Gronk is fun for all the same reasons that Dion was a tool. Ah, oh, pipe, you're going. You're going like full on political on this. This is fascinating. I just. Um, are, are we? Am I allowed to acknowledge that Dion is still a tool, though? Because yes, he totally is. Yeah, I mean, here's yeah, the thing: Gronk he totally is a tool is. too. I don't know why people think he's fun. Like he's. I, I'm more. Dude, why, why is that? What is the difference? Let's suss it out. Because I, I feel like there, there's got to be something here. You know, um, I, and it's got to be more than race. I feel I, like I it, don't. It, I, I mean, I. It's hard to see what the difference would be. So let's take Dion for example. Now, Dion was more outspokenly arrogant than he was, and he had maybe the whole thing where NFL like, player this side of Terrell Owens, but. He had the whole thing where he got on the wrong side of the media too by like throwing all that ice water on Tim McCarver after the World Series. Because be McCarver had doesn't been a, want to throw things on Tim McCarver. <laughs> That's true. Um, I don't know, but there there was a little chip. There was a yeah. There was a little sense of like you know Dion against against people in the media that I think Gronk has lacked. Gronk has I don't know how he's done it, but he's become like a media darling. You know, probably because he parties with these guys and he makes them feel like the cool people that they never were in real life. Um, yeah, I mean, he's... Maybe that's a difference. Yes. I mean, th- there is a... Like, Gronk is different in the... Um, like, in a media scrum or a press conference. You know, he's funny. He's yeah. warm. He's... I wouldn't say he's yeah. witty because I don't think he's that bright. But he's... He's not witty. But but you know what Gronk is? Gronk is the... Like, he's the alpha male stud in high school who's nice to the dorks. And I think every dork, which is... Almost every like media member. Yeah, feels they write about sports because they couldn't play. That's right, dude. Right, but they feel exponentially cooler by being in the same room as Gronk. And I don't think Dion had that same. He didn't have that same magnetism. Like he wanted to, you know. He walked around like he had the magnetism in terms of you know the jewelry and the sunglasses and taking limos everywhere oh, and doing all the Dion and stuff. like the neon Dion but, thing. I mean, that, he he did the sort of thing like like what Kobe did, where Kobe gave himself a nickname. You know, where he's like, yeah. I'm the black mom. It's like, the George Costanza minute. thing. You can't do it. Yeah, you yeah, can't you, nickname you can't yourself. Just, you can't nickname yourself. Um, now, let's let's go kind of point by point through the ridiculous celebrity life cycle. Did Gronk, and I'm asking because I don't know, did Gronk, did Gronk ever cut a ridiculous rap video? Because Deion Sanders did it at least a couple times. Um, I don't it, think so, although there have been, I mean, I, I bet he's cut... 25 like karaoke videos that's true there there have been lots of like self-referential gronk things that that may be like the you know the 2010s analog to cutting a ridiculous rap video so i mean we we can call that a push like they've both done it no i i think Um, dion's is worse because when you cut an album like you're you're saying like i want to i want this with rca records i think i'm a legitimate artist whereas gronk is Dude, right. That's, it's the scene of more like being a party animal or whatever, which is it's a different it's a different kind right. of thing. And it's it's a little bit more self-deprecating. So when you're Dion cutting the rap record, you're booking studio time like you're surrounding yourself with a certain number of people who are going to say, yeah, that was pretty good. You know, that was a good take. Let's go with that one. And um, yeah, that is that is kind of exponentially sadder. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Dion. I mean, he played two sports. Gronk didn't do that. So, I mean, he, he's definitely got Gronk beat there. Uh, I, what about, like, ri- ridiculous pop culture cameos? I feel like Gronk is the king of, like, popping up certain places. Um, yeah. He may have Dion beat there. I'm trying to think. I don't know. I, I don't – I can't think of – I mean, I don't watch a ton of, like, you know, network, you know, sitcoms and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that Gronk has made a ton of appearances on those. I feel like – he he's different than Dion in that Dion was trying to be a brand. Gronk yeah, is trying sure. to have fun. Yeah. And there's I mean there's and that's that is a distinct difference between some of these players who are perceived as as sort of D-bags and those Dude, it and, is. Then, and then like Gronk. I mean all all race issues aside, I think people tend to like people who are having fun. And I'll give you you know, I'll gi- I'll give you somewhat of an analog to Gronk um, from my childhood, Walter Payton, you know, different than Gronk, obviously like partying wasn't a part of Payton's public persona at least, but like he was perceived as a guy who was always having a good time. And I think everybody liked him. Like black people loved Payton, white people loved Payton. I loved him, um, you know, but he looked like he was always having a good time. albeit a little bit differently than Gronk. Uh, but I think the 
the sentiment was the same in terms of like audiences connecting with a person. Um, is there an NBA analog to Gronkowski, black or white? I'm trying to think. The NBA is so different than the NFL because the players are brands. Do they just like they? Yeah. They if you are a star, you are a brand. Just because it's a, yeah. it's such a different like it's an up close league. It's a, it's you know in the NFL the thing that happens on the field is yeah. not a personal thing. It's a bunch of guys wrapped in armor with numbers on. Dude, right? You can't see their faces, even though they have shoe deals right. and stuff. Like, there's no. There's no sort of iconic transcending the game superstars in the NFL, except maybe Brady. Now, speaking of, I think I think in the NBA, Clay Thompson has had his Gronkish moments, but he's so much more like nerdy and subdued, you know. Whereas yeah, Gronk is yeah. a larger than life personality who just, you know, all I want to do is have some fun. Um, but Clay Thompson, Dude, you know, do he feel... does like that. You know, he, he shows up at like clubs and in Shanghai and dances <laughs> badly to music and stuff like that. So it's, exactly. it gets a little crazy. Exactly, exactly. But it is winsome in a in a similar way. Speaking of like superstars transcending the game, NBA wise, how do we feel about LeBron so sort of boldly and nakedly just running the Lakers at this point? Um, and, and my follow up question to that for you as an NBA fan is: Do you think LeBron runs the risk of like overdoing it here in a way that will truly taint like? how people see him. Do you think there could be a big title shift against LeBron provided he keeps like trying to get Luke Walton fired and, you know, trying to do all these trades. Do you think he could overdo it is my question. Um, could he? Yes, but he won't because he is, he's incredibly savvy. So mm. there's, he's, he's, he's the kind of uh, like mob boss who he can't, he's responsible for all the crimes and there's no yeah. proof, you know, yeah. you know, like Al Capone got put away for tax evasion, not for any of the things that were egregious crimes. Sure. He's, he's got that kind of thing going on where, you know, they people say LeBron is trying to get Walton fired. There's there's no proof of that. There's no comments. Yeah. There's no interviews. There's no like there's not even a con. There's not a confrontation between him and Walton. There's just there's it, there's like a subtle behind the scenes thing. So could he, could he go too far? Yeah. But he, I mean, he did the same thing in Cleveland yeah. and, you know, basically yeah. built the team that he wanted there, which, you know, made yeah. finals appearances and won a finals, but wasn't, you know, didn't sustain very well. Um, yeah. But I, I think his legacy is pretty well cemented. I was just looking at some stats the other day. Like he's, he's three to four more good seasons away from being the all time leading scorer in the league. I think he's, yeah. you know, he's he's just a few hundred points from being in the top maybe four. He's yeah. plus, I mean, he's just a metronome of excellence. And yeah. his his legacy is going to be pretty well cemented, even if he never wins another title. Well, he, yeah, There will always be the, the Jordan-LeBron debate. Um, sure. Because Jordan won six and LeBron just won't. He's not going to win six. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if he, if he sneaks in one more title which at yeah. this point I would bet against, but it's possible. Um, sure. He, nah, I don't, I don't think he's going to ruin his legacy. I mean, shoot, if Michael Jordan didn't ruin his legacy by going to the Wizards and then buying a team and owning it badly, like Jordan's legacy <laughs> as a player is Jordan's legacy as a player. And it's like the yeah. stuff that happened at the end of his career and then in the front office yeah. never happened. Dude, that stuff is almost remembered wistfully. By me, at least, and I think I think by others with Jordan. Like, like we remember that Wizards era as like, you know, a th a thing that happened that, um, you know, I look at it as you know he was clearly old and he had changed his game and he wanted a new challenge. And I always give him the benefit of the doubt, though, when I probably shouldn't. But yeah, when I look at LeBron right now, I almost see, in keeping with the gangster movie like ethos, it, it's almost like the second half of Goodfellas to me. Like, it's the beginning of the second half of Goodfellas where Henry Hill kind of, like, goes, like, he goes over the cliff a little bit, yeah. you know? And and the kind of stuff that he could control in the first half of Goodfellas, it starts to catch up with him. And there's a there's a little bit of that motif for me right now with LeBron where I, I, I go, man, I, I wonder, like, he's he's got to play this Lakers thing right. You know, th this thing could explode in his face somehow. Um, but it'll, it'll, I mean, it'll you, be interesting. Do we really think he's controlling, um, he's controlling Magic Johnson? 
because because magic is their gm and like i i just if anybody can match lebron for both magnetism and ego it's magic yeah and it's it's hard to see him sort of manipulating magic i think if anything ruins the lakers it's magic i don't have any confidence at all that he's good in the front office he just he just smiles real big and he used to be he used to be an elite though i mean if if Magic and LeBron were in the same room and they were both talking, who would you listen to? You would listen to LeBron, and so would I. Um, so there's that, but there's there's also this weird dynamic in the NBA where, like, your highest paid player is far and away like the highest paid person in the organization, right? You know what I mean? So there there is this weird skewing of the power dynamic where, um, I think in any walk of life or in any group of people, you're always kind of going to listen to the person that makes the most money you know, right or wrong, good or bad. And, you know, LeBron is, is that person. And yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I think maybe people like, like me like to think of him wielding a lot more power behind the scenes just because it makes it more interesting. And I, and, and I do wonder if at some level, if you're LeBron James, are you bored of just playing basketball? You know, I might be bored of it. I mean, he's, he's done it at such a dominating level for so long and he's done it his whole life. Like, Maybe maybe this is just the fruit of boredom at some level. Um, I don't know. We're just speculating at this point. Yeah, we are. I, I, but I, I do think uh, – I think I think being in Los Angeles is a different thing too. You know, him wielding power in Cleveland where he – you know, he's the biggest star in Ohio history. Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I, I can't think of anybody who's even remotely close. Yeah, I can't either. And – no, I'm, I mean, like, yeah. you know, even at the heyday of like Jim Brown and and you right. know, various different teams that Cleveland has had along the way. I mean, LeBron is the greatest star to come out of Ohio. Dude, yeah, maybe Pete Rose gets close. I don't know. Johnny Bench. We're going way back. Yeah, I mean, those, the, 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 it's not it's and that that's not to that is not to insult other great players who have played for any Cincinnati team, any Cleveland team. Right. right. Et cetera. It's just it's just he's LeBron. And yeah. That's not true in LA. Like, yeah, that's true. He, I think we would all critically say he's a better, he's the best basketball player. But I mean, when you have a history of Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson and Elgin Baylor and Jerry West, not to mention like James Worthy, and I mean those are those are all Hall of Famers, and I'm sure I missed two or three as well. Um, you, you're just another, you're just another star. Yeah. Nobody, like yeah. nobody in LA, is intimidated by LeBron the same way that they are in other places. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think that takes away his ability, some of his abilities to sort of influence and to foul things up. Yeah, no, you're right, man. You're you're absolutely right, um, Piper. We've only got a couple of minutes left, and I want to get to our book recommendations. But uh, do you have any responses to NBA trade deadline things? Well, at the time of recording this, the tr- the deadline is tomorrow, so all craziness could happen between now and then. So, as of right now, the two trades that we that we know about that are kind of a big deal are the Porzingis one to Dallas and the Tobias Harris one to to Philly. Dude, Porzingis makes Dallas so fun. Yes, that one. I, yeah. I mean, I James Dolan is the worst owner in the NBA. To he mm-hmm. he runs the most dysfunctional franchise that makes repeatedly the dumbest decisions. Um, I feel terrible for Knicks fans. I'd never thought I'd feel real bad for a New Yorker about sports, but uh, mm-hmm. but Knicks fans, good lord, I feel your pain. That is awful. Um, that is so awful. And you know it, what a shame. Now now here's the thing. If and this is I'd put like a ten percent chance on this. If they get Kevin Durant. And another super duper star like Kyrie Irving or somebody this summer, yeah, uh, that trade is fine because they cleared yeah. the space to get that, and that like the garden will blow up if that happens. Yeah. Here's the thing: it's yeah. not going to happen. They're going to get like they're going to sign like Tobias Harris and I don't know Paul Millsap right. or something. They're going to get some second tier yeah. guys. Um, Dallas with Porzingis and and Luka Doncic is man that's going to be fun i i hope porzingis can stay healthy but that yeah. that duo is going to be so much fun and dallas because those guys uh because Doncic is still on a rookie contract they have some room to to go out and, and get some other players too so dude question in nba question is that the greatest white guy pairing of all time uh, are we bird, looking at bird, the two and, greatest- bird and mikhail might have something to say about that 
Yeah, I mean, Bird and anybody, but like, um, yeah, I guess you're right. I, I mean, right. I'd, let's say yeah. like post post Bird, so like post 1992. Post let me think. Other yeah, white guy yeah. pairings. Um, Stockton Hornacek. Um, yeah, it's pretty strong, man. Yeah, pretty strong. I mean, obviously, there's there's more of a there's a there's more of a career arc there. Did Steve Nash play with any? Oh, Steven, no, Nash and Dirk is probably Nash and Dirk. Yeah, yeah. But now right. that was short lived because right. Nash went to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Did Mark Price play with any good white dudes? I don't think I so. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Craig Elo. Um, yeah, Mark Price and Craig Elo. That's a good white dude pairing. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, know. I mean, on the scale of white dudes, that's good. Um, I know. I, I think <laughs> I think it has the, if Nash and Dirk had stayed together, they would have been the best. I think yeah. this is yeah. this is what Dallas should have had with Nash and Dirk, um, because I, I would imagine both these guys are going to be around for a while. I, let crossing mm-hmm. fingers that Porzingis stays healthy. Because he's he's yeah, so sure. much fun, and I think he will be way better playing next to somebody like Luca, who is so creative and and can set other people up yeah. so well. Yeah, most definitely, man, most definitely. Um, that'll be interesting. Piper, did I talk about uh, did I talk about Mike Conley on the last show? I don't want to repeat myself. We did. You yeah, you talked about your deep and abiding affection for him. I think we talked a little bit about yeah. prospective trades. I you know, dude, yeah, I would we love did. to see we him. Did, so you know where I want to see him end up? Where Detroit. Ooh, that would be interesting. That would not. Be interesting. I mean, it would be great to see him end up in like New York or somewhere that that he could really yeah, be platform. Yeah. But like putting him sure. in in the Eastern Conference, putting him with Blake on a on a a fringe playoff team, that'd be fun. Because Blake that'd is be, playing really, really well fun. this year in the obscurity of Detroit, and I think if you put Absolutely. Conley with him, they yeah. they both will benefit from that. And they they have some other, you know, they have some moderately decent young players around them. They're not great, but they have some talent. And Reggie Jackson, who's their current point guard, is terrible. So it would be a right. huge upgrade for them. No, it would, man. It it totally would. And they've got a new arena there. And yeah, there's there's some, you know, there's some excitement. So. And Detroit fans um, really, I think they really want to root for that team. I mean, you remember they do. now maybe when they, how far. Their new stadium's near the old one, right? Their new arena, or is it downtown now? I think it's right downtown. Oh, yeah. Okay, so maybe that make maybe that kills it because I know when they used to be at what was it, the Palace of Auburn Hills? The Palace of Auburn they Hills. They yeah, really well. A bunch of they had raucous crowds. No, that was the Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace days. But dude, they, I'll they say have this, a history though, of good about, fandom. About Detroit fans in general, they are the best fans. Like even when their teams are sucking for really long stretches of time, they are like loud, passionate, loyal fans, and they deserve a good product. Which is what made those early two thousands Pistons teams so fun. It's like finally, Detroit has a a product worth cheering about, you know. And 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 they'd had one with the like the Bad Boys Pistons too were really fun. But you know the Lions had been mired in losing for so long and still are. And um you know, the Tigers had had their, their troubles, but, uh, but yeah, great fan base. That would be a fun Conley destination for sure. Uh, I would like to see it. Piper, we've got time for a quick book recommendation. Uh, what are you reading right now? Sports wise that you'd like to talk about? So I just finished a book. I don't think I recommended it on this podcast, so I'm just going to go with it as if I, as if I did not, it is called, uh, it's called, um, Boomtown. Oh yeah. By actually, did I recommend it? On you that? totally talked about it last ah, time. Crap. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's okay, it's still man. Excellent. That's okay. Uh, let yeah. me think. Let me think. What else am I? I've talked about Dude. basketball and other things by Shea Serrano. I think. Um, I'm kind of in a. I'm kind of in a drought between sports books right now because I've had to read a bunch of other crap for for work and stuff. So. Dude, no worries. You don't have to have one. Yeah, I feel. I feel um, obliged to have one. Sorry, I'm looking at my shelf right now. Um. Yeah. Dude, so mine while you're yeah, looking. You... Um, I'm reading a book uh, by Rick Ankeel. Remember Rick Ankeel, yes. the old Cardinals yeah, yeah, pitcher? Yeah. Um, it's called The Phenomenon, and it's about him like getting the yips and basically forgetting how to throw the ball. Um, and it was an anxiety thing, and it's it's you know deeper than forgetting how to throw the ball. It's just sort of this comprehensive thing that happens to to certain athletes and. I, I gravitated toward it because I think I had the same thing for a period of time as a long snapper. Um, anything that's like fine motor yeah. like that, where you're doing the same motion over and over again, like the best, the the best headspace to be in is to just not think it's about to it. not be in you a know, headspace at all. Yeah. To not be in a headspace at all. And the book is fascinating because, you know, if you're the kind of person who gets in a headspace, um, 
which thoughtful people generally are, you know, that's exactly what happened to Ann Keel. And he started like overthinking everything as far as, you know, his throwing motion, his life, walking out to the mounds, you know, just all these things. It's really fascinating. But from a writing business standpoint, Piper, the other thing that's kind of low key fascinating about the book is it was so clearly written by the ghostwriter. There's like no <laughs> trace of Ann Keel in it anywhere except the story. And it's like, um, had, being that I have ghostwritten several times, like I, I can see, like I can see all the tricks and I can see all the ghostwriters tricks and I can see that like he really, he really had to do a lot. So tip of the tip of the hat to the ghostwriter on, uh, on Rick Ann Keel's book, the phenomenon. It really is a fascinating topic. And um, it's, it's one that I would love to read more about even after I finished. Yeah, book. he was such a sad story, too, because he when he came yeah. in as a pitcher, he was a lefty who threw mid 90s and had a curveball like the curveball from hell, you know, just yeah, I think he had like 190 strikeouts as a rookie or something. He's borderline rookie of the year, just phenomenal yeah. pitcher. And then like in year yep. two or three, it just fell apart. And then amazingly, also, he came back as an he made the major leagues later as an outfielder in like his mid 30s. So he went away for several years and then came back maybe early 30s, mid 30s as an outfielder who was a a moderately good hitter, really good fielder. And of course, had just a cannon for an arm. And dude, right. It just speaks to the athleticism of the guy that he could. And the persistence and the resilience, because when he came back, you knew that everybody's going to be like, oh, this is Rick Ankiel, the formerly great pitcher who was an ab, you know, just an absolute failure and is now uh, a fourth outfielder. Dude, right. But it took a a huge amount of stones for him to just come back and try to do that, Mm -hmm. much less be successful at it. And the one of one of the interesting things about the book, too, you know, reading it as a believer it's totally a a secular approach to like how do you defeat a problem like how how do you overcome something that's hmm. uh, difficult for you in in your head yeah you know um and you know man reading it as a Christian you know our minds immediately go to like gosh we've got prayer we've got scripture we've got the body of Christ and we've got sharing the burden with people well, and, and, ident- you know, and identity got- not wrapped up in a curveball that's right that's right that's right which is a hard thing to do man yeah. i mean even for for us as believers it's so hard for us not to wrap our identities up in you know what we produce but um but yeah really interesting read the phenomenon do you have a quick one Pat? i do i think this i might have recommended this one on one of our very first sports apps but uh <laughs> You know, so it'll be a throwback for those. It's called yeah. Tip Off by Philip Bondi. That's Philip with an F, F I L I P, uh-huh. Philip Bondi. How the 1984 NBA draft changed basketball forever. So that was Dude, the. Dude, I still have to read that. Oh, you'll love it. Um, so, you yeah. know, it was the Michael Jordan draft. Yeah. And so it's all about the inner workings and the trades that did happen, almost happened, didn't happen. Kind of looks at the hypotheticals of what if Jordan had ended up, you know, not going number. What did he go? Number three overall. Um, yeah. You know, I think Sam Bowie went first that year. Uh, yeah, that's right. And I think Hakeem went two mm-hmm. and Jordan went three. So yeah. there, there was uh because that's right. Hakeem went two because I think Houston might've already had um, no Portland drafted Bowie because I think they already had Drexler, I think is how it went. But uh, mm. and so there's just all of these sort of the the behind the scenes machinations of all this and who hated who and who wouldn't make deals with who. And it's, it's <laughs> a really engaging read. Charles Barkley makes an appearance because I think he was drafted maybe 12th or 13th that year. He's yeah. and, and he's just sort of like the he's like the weird oddball character He's like this, this short, fat power forward from Auburn who nobody knows what to do with. And then, of course, exactly. ends up being, you know, one of the top two or three guys from that draft. Um, yep. But it's it's fascinating for people who grew up loving loving the NBA through the 80s and the 90s and sort of those just so many Hall of Fame players in it. So, yeah, it's called Tip Off by Philip Bondi. It's it's a super fun read. It's a quick one, but uh, really I enjoyable. I just bought it while you were speaking. So that's the the magic of technology in my studio. Um, so that book will be on my doorstep soon. Piper, this has been uh, enjoyable as always, man. It's it's fun to unpack these sports things with you. Uh, soon we will be uh, chopping it up together at Indie Live. So if you haven't done so already, visit happyrantpodcast.com. Uh, secure your tickets for Indie Live. And until next time, Rick and Keel.
The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.